Good evening and welcome to the first podcast of Tipsy Tales of True Crime. I'm Elaine, your host. All of these stories have two things in common, actually three, cocktails, crime, and of course me. Some of you will need a drink after listening to the details of this story. For more, follow Tipsy Tales of True Crime on Facebook for recipes of our cocktails and a synopsis of the story of each podcast. These are dark, sadistic tales of unspeakable crime. Not just any crime, but true crime. What causes the dark evil to flow through certain people? We may never know. This podcast is not for the faint of heart or mind. We will take the evil deeds that some do and explore them in detail. Our first story is no exception. The cocktail that I'm sipping on while telling this story is called the school bus. And soon enough, you'll know why I picked this beverage to assist me in telling the story. Nestled in Madera County, California, the area of Chowchilla in 1976 was a rural farming community. Everyone knew everyone else and their business. The name Chowchilla is from the indigenous American tribe of Chasala, an Indian tribe that once lived in the area. The name translates as to murderers and is a reference to the warlike nature of this particular tribe. It's also known among the tribes to be associated with bravery, which I like personally a little better than murderers. Bravery and murder can go hand in hand, however. I've never exactly heard of a timid person stabbing another person to death. But if you know a story, message me. Why exactly is the size of the town important? Well, as I stated before, everyone knows everyone else and is all up in everyone's business. With a community that size, people were tight-knit. What impacted one person impacted most people. And on a hot day in July, the events that occurred were going to cause a massive ripple effect in what would impact people for years to come. Now, when we think about crime, we think of a few victims. One person murdered Mark. Now, when we think of a crime, we think of a few victims. One person is murdered, maybe a family. All crimes horrific. However, the truly horrific crimes, the ones involving many people, especially if those people are children, can haunt our darkest nightmares. As a parent... I know I put trust in those adults around us that interact with our children on a daily basis. I drop my daughter off at school, secure in the fact that she will be there unharmed at the school when I pick her up in the afternoon. And honestly, if I had a chance to send my kids off to summer school to polish academic skills, have fun with other kids, and have a final day at the local community pool, I would not think twice about it. So imagine, if you will, a mom sipping her coffee, watching as her 6- and 11-year-old climbed up on the school bus with Ed Ray. Ed was a driver that had spent many years driving the children of Chowchilla to the Dairyland Unified Schools. He was her bus driver many years ago. He was a staple of the community, good folk, as many in the area would call him. He was trusted with the kids. And that day was the next to the last day of summer school. And as the bus doors creaked open, he would have greeted everyone with a friendly nod and a wave and smiled at the kids as they climbed up on the school bus. 
In that moment, trust was strong and all was right with the world. No one knew, however, that in a few short hours, hell would descend on this tiny town in California in the shape of three young men with a ransom note that was never sent. Pardon my dog. The youngest child on the bus was a tender age of five. The oldest child was 14, and after spending a few weeks together riding back and forth on the dusty roads, the kids formed friendships that would last a lifetime, especially with the experience that they were to share. At 4.30 p.m., the day of fun in the sun was completed, and Ed was making sure each child was dropped off safely at home. (sighs) Sounds nice. However, little did he know that 26 children and himself would not be dropped off safely. What occurred next would change the mentality of 27 lives and the people that cared deeply for those 27 lives. Ed was making sure each child was dropped off safely at home. (sighs) Sounds lovely. However, Little did he know that 26 children and himself would not be dropped off safely. What occurred next would change the mentality of 27 lives and people that cared deeply for those lives. Rounding a corner in the road, Ed viewed a white van parked in the middle of it. Strange, but in his years of experience, he had witnessed many strange things, even in a tiny California town. That afternoon, Ed did what all good, outstanding citizens would do if they wandered upon a van stopped in the middle of the road. Except me. I wouldn't. I'd just drive by. But that's just me. I'm not a good Samaritan in any sense of the word. If I don't know you, mm -mm, I, I say this because remember, in 1976, the world was a different place than it is today. If the decision would not have been made, if Ed would have just drove on, the lives of many people would have gone without incident on that day. Here's where the story can change based on whoever you talk to. However, the fact that two men came on board the bus with guns and pantyhose over their heads and started yelling at the children to get to the back of the bus is undisputed. The third man was outside of the school bus in another van. Once scared and frightened children were huddled into the back seats of the bus. One of the men exited the bus, then went into the first van and started to make the almost 100-mile drive to a secluded quarry where the rest of the horrors would be executed. Imagine the scene on the bus, fresh from a day of swimming at the community pool. The strong scent of used sunscreen must have been prominent in the bus. It mixed with the fresh scent of fear and confusion as the armed kidnapper on the bus held the gun to Ed's temple instructing him to follow the van. And as the gun was held to Ed's head, the kidnapper screamed at the children to sit down and shut up. I cannot imagine the fear of these children ages 5 to 14 as they sat huddled together on a hot bus, straining for some cool breezes to go through the windows. Yeah, some of the babies cried, but they were comforted by the older children who themselves were trying to comprehend the dark events that were unfolding in front of them. This was before cell phones. To give you some understanding, I was four years old. I'm 50 right now. So it's been quite a few years. 
They had no way to reach out to loved ones and they were stuck in this nightmare during the daytime. The hot, dusty roads blew up dirt that covered the bus and the windows, making it hard to breathe any fresh air as the bus bumped along the country roads that led to a sugarcane field. So the three men involved, Richard and James Schoenfeld and Fred Woods, concocted this heist due only to the pursuit of money, $5 million to be exact. This crime was premeditated and planned, which will shock you with the outcome of the court ruling later in the story. Get ready to get angry. I know I was once I read the outcome of this heinous kidnapping. So this crime is classified as the largest mass kidnapping in U.S. history. 27 people, 26 children and one adult. Lives that were changed forever. And we have not even gotten to the most gruesome part of the story. If you have a drink, take a large gulp of that cocktail because it's about to get more evil than you ever thought imaginable. The bus was guided and instructed to park in a field of sugarcane. Why? Why sugarcane and, I don't know, not corn? Well, sugarcane can grow up to 20 feet tall, and that's definitely tall enough to hide a school bus. This plan was thought out with great care. Ignorant bastards. Once the school bus was hidden and the two vans parked alongside of the bus, the man with the gun instructed the frightened children to get off of the bus. This was done at gunpoint with the assistance of the two other kidnappers. And the guns in the story were shotguns, large and imposing to anyone, especially a child. Once off the bus, the children were split into two groups. Age was not important, and they were just herded like cattle into the back of the two vans. The journey continued into the night. It was hot. Very little air and little tummies and bladders were, of course, upset. Along with the stale air, the children began to get sick and vomit from the fumes of the bodily functions that needed to release themselves. It's bad. It was, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being a child in that age group of 5 to 14, sitting in a dark van with other children and not being able to control your body functions. We all know that after many hours, all of us would need to seek some sort of relief. Riddled with stress and fear, their bodies reacted the way that any stressed out body would. They started to throw up. One by one, they relieved themselves in the van due to the smell and fear. Some of them were close to passing out due to the smell, and rightfully so. I know I would under those circumstances. Hell, I almost pass out if I stand up too quickly. I fault them not for this reaction. It would be natural. The quarry Mm. sat waiting for its victims as the vans rattled to a stop early the next morning. This is where the story gets, like, sick. If it wasn't disturbing enough for you... With the description of the van, get ready. So six feet under dry dirt, a box truck waited for the children and Ed. That's right. A buried box truck 
Fred Woods, the son of the owner of the quarry, with the assistance of James and Richard Sonnenfeld, buried a white box truck in the dirt. A large grave for 27 people. A ladder was put over the edge of the dirt, and one by one, the children went down the ladder to be ordered into the truck. And this truck was buried on the sides and on the front, all except for a small opening in the back where the children were told to get into it. The top of the truck, after the children had gone in, was sealed with a large metal plate and a battery and some dirt dumped on top of that. Construction lights guided the children and Ed, providing a vision of the death trap that they were crawling into. Once in the truck, it was sealed, and the kidnappers left. They left to set up publishing the ransom note for $5 million, because they figured, okay, we've got everybody where they need to go. No one's going to find them. Let's go and set this up. So meanwhile, the children and Ed found the box truck that in the box truck, I'm sorry, excuse me, in the box truck, they had a few mattresses, snacks, water, and two boxes with holes for them to use as toilets. Oh, I tell you what, these kidnappers were really generous. I still think they're assholes, though. Maybe those three men thought that they would provide some sort of small comfort while the children and Ed waited for possible death. So while in this box truck, the children sang songs to comfort them, such as Jesus Loves Me, and to help pass the time. Three older boys had had enough of this horror, and this is where the story turns yet again. I thought that when I first ran across this, it would have a horrific ending. Well, it has an ending, but not the type of ending that you would expect. This, in part, made it the reason why it was selected to be my first story. Within 16 hours, Ed and the three boys managed to dig out from the top of the box truck, move the steel plate, and relish in the fresh air that poured in. Now, we know of heroes. We hear about them in movies and online. But when I say these four people were heroes, they were the epitome of what makes one, in my opinion. Stacking the mattresses on the floor of the truck, a human ladder was made. The larger children on the bottom helped the younger children climb out of the death trap beneath the ground to on top of the truck. That's correct. They escaped every single one of them. The group was eventually rescued and returned to a family that had been worried for them hours upon hours. The fear of that, I cannot imagine. Since then, of course, the children have grown up into adults. However, the mental damage that was done was beyond repair in most circumstances. PTSD was experienced by most, if not all, the children and, of course, Ed himself. Sadly, Ed passed away on May 17, 2012, but before his passing, he received the California School Employees Association Citation for Outstanding Service. Before he died, he was visited by many of the children he helped save that day. So a study recently found that kidnapped children suffer from panic attacks, personality changes, and nightmares involving kidnapping or death. And again, I can't imagine how the children felt and feel I have the utmost respect for them. 
In 2016, the surviving children settled a lawsuit that they had against their kidnappers. One survivor stated that, quote, they got enough to pay for some serious therapy, but not enough for a house, end quote. Fred Woods and James and Richard Sonnenfield were caught really easily. Upon searching the home of the parents of Fred Woods, enough evidence was found to implicate all three of them. They were each convicted on 27 counts of kidnapping with a sentence of seven years to life for each count without the possibility of parole. So we can be rest assured in the fact that they're still in prison to this day, correct? Mm, Not exactly. So just at seven years and 27 counts, that equals 189 years, more than life. However, here it comes, another twist. So you thought they were tucked away in jail for the rest of the natural lives? Mm, Not quite. Take another drink. In 1980, an appeals panel overturned the original sentences. Why? Because they determined that no serious bodily injury was caused on the 27 victims. Because of this panel, the three had the possibility of parole. Richard was paroled in 2012, and his brother James was paroled in 2015 for being, quote, model citizens, unquote. Fred Woods, the man that was considered the ringleader, he's up for parole this year. As a parent, as even a human, the atrocities these three men committed on 27 people that impacted them for the rest of their lives, and they can walk free? I don't care if they are older. They're free. Or soon will be free. 27 lives were changed forever. Innocence gone in the purest sense of the word. One of the survivors attended every single parole meeting of the three men, and her question was this. If your child was kidnapped and buried alive, how long is enough? In my opinion, it would never be enough. They deserve to rot. I hope you enjoyed my first tipsy tale of true crime. I do promise that they will get better and longer in length. In the following podcasts, we will explore the depths of the darkness that true crime brings. Stay up to date on the podcast notifications at Tipsy Tales of True Crime on Facebook. Have a crime that you'd like covered in the podcast, or would you like to be a guest? Contact me through Facebook at Tipsy Tales of True Crime. Until next time, stay safe.